0: Good day everyone and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast, broadcast from 3CR, your only radio left. Susanna here with you, and I'll be joined by other members of my Left After Breakfast team as the program continues, your favorites for a start. So welcome to regular listeners and indeed to anyone who has just tuned in. Good on you. There's been a lot of talk, and I've talked a lot, about former, the failed Prime Minister Scott and all of those secret ministries he gave himself with the Governor-General aiding and abetting him. And I really had to stop and think, Governor-General? Yes, I know we have a Governor-General, but, you know, what the hell is it all about anyway and why? You'd think at my age I would have sat down and thought about it before. You would have thought I sat down and thought about it in 1975. Well, of course I did in 1975. But time goes on and things, you know, sort of fade a bit from your mind. They don't hold quite the bitterness that they had before. Though I haven't forgotten 1975 and I haven't forgotten that cur, and I haven't forgotten nor have I forgiven Malcolm Fraser for it. And if you want to ring up and tell me, oh, look, Malcolm Fraser did this and did that. He became a nice man. He he helped some refugees somewhere. I don't care. I know what he did in 1975 and that's enough. That's quite enough for me. But let's have a look now at our current Governor-General, another old, retired, superannuated military man. What does the Governor-General do? What is a Governor-General for? Australia is a constitutional monarchy with the Queen as sovereign. As a constitutional monarch, the Queen, by convention, is not involved in the day-to-day business of the Australian government, but she continues to play important ceremonial and symbolic roles. The Governor-General of Australia is Her Majesty the Queen's representative. In practice, they are Australia's head of state and have a range of constitutional and ceremonial duties. The Governor-General is also the Commander-in-Chief of the Australian Defence Force. The duties of the Governor-General are of various kinds. Some are laid on him by the Constitution, some by the letters patent and his commission. Others are placed on him by Acts of the Commonwealth Parliament. Others come to him by conventions established in past centuries in Great Britain, or by practices and customs that have developed in Australia. All of these duties have a common characteristic. The Governor-General is not placed in a position where he can run the Parliament, run the Court, or run any of the instrumentalities of government, but he occupies a position where he can help ensure that those who conduct the affairs of the nation do so strictly in accordance with the Constitution and the laws of the Commonwealth and with due regard to the public interest. The Governor-General acts on advice, whether he is acting in his own name or as Governor-General in Council. He has the responsibility to weigh and evaluate the advice and has the opportunity of discussion with his advisers. He has a responsibility for seeing that the system works as required by the law and conventions of the Constitution, but he does not try to do the work of ministers. Also clearly noted on the Australian Government website about the Governor-General is this nice little paragraph. These duties are essential to Australia's modern democracy. However, perhaps the most important role of the Governor-General is their work in the Australian community. Each year the Governor-General hosts or attends hundreds of events around the country and meets tens of thousands of Australians. They do this to celebrate the best of Australia and recognise the everyday Australians who, without fuss or fanfare, contribute to the lives of others and make Australia such a compassionate, harmonious and peaceful place. So there you go, that's a very important duty for the (laughs) Governor-General, to make Australia such a compassionate, harmonious and peaceful place. Well, he failed on that one, didn't he? Miserably. And there's something else here, listener. Am I mad in imagining this or what? Can you help me? When the Governor-General swears in a minister, that means that all prior ministers who used to hold that office no longer hold that office. Doesn't that make sense? You swear in a new minister, so then the old one is gone. So all five of those so-called ministers after Scott swearing in were not ministers at all. Now, they didn't know that, okay, but now we know it. But those former ministers continued to act as ministers without authority and they also took payments unlawfully. What are we going to do about that? We really have to think seriously about the monarchy. Do we need the British monarchy in Australia? Do we need it at all? Other countries have managed to liberate themselves from the yoke of British sovereignty. And the titles of the Queen here is actually the Queen of Australia. That's her title, Queen of Australia. Do we need her? we really should think about that. I know it's a lot to get through. Will we have a just republic or just a republic? But it's important and I hope to see it before I kick the bucket, listener. And here's a little ditty from Chumbawamba. Yes, that's their name, Chumbawamba. group and yes their name is Chumba and that's some um, oh quite a few years back now they also had a lovely little song called Goodbye Margaret which was which was composed for the death of Margaret Thatcher which they wrote well before her death as they said in anticipation
1: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet www.3cr.org.au
0: By popular request, and it is popular request, I'm going to replay The Ballad of 75 by Roaring Jack. We speak of friends, lest we forget. (laughs)
2: I remember the day I was no more than a boy Working in an oxide plant at the back of Norfolk's Rye Bert Gilchrist told the gupper because Bert Gilchrist had the clout He said they'd given got the bullet and the lads are walking out And we walked right off that job while the gupper held the door and watched it on the telly in a TV rental store. It was one hell of a situation. The kind you just can't gauge. There was drop on the steps of Parliament House. Stand down, maintain the range. In the year of the double dissolution. Drinking in the streets gave way to doubt. Australia voted in the revolution. Then stood back and let the fat cats push it out There was violence in the air As I walked back home at night Everyone yet mates was getting ready for the fight Saying so if they're out for trouble Then trouble's what they'll get We started out a colony Do they think we're a colony yet? In the year of the double dissolution Drinking in the streets gave way to doubt Australia vaulted in a revolution It out. But as the weeks went by, the anger turned to mild relief. Really. Locks were freed like magic, and I watched in disbelief. To see a scam so blighted, so jacked up and full of awls. And the people in the thousands, and tossed it at the balls. Revolution. Drinking in the streetscape way to doubt Australia vaulted in a revolution Benzed back and let the bad push it out They had it coming somewhere closer to the mark. Who spoke about conspiracy? Sinister and dark. But history records it, and the story will be read. And we let them take democracy and stand it on its head? In the near of a double dissolution. Crinking in the streets gave way to doubt. Australia voted in the revolution. Then stood back and let the fat push it out. Australia voted in the revolution. Then and let the fat push it out.
0: We mustn't forget 1975, listener. And we mustn't forget what the Governor-General, that Kerr, did at that time. You know, there are some people around listening to this program who weren't even born then. I just want to remind them of a couple of things about 1975 and the Queen and the Governor-General. Here's an archival recording From 1995.
3: Forty years ago, an extraordinary event took place at this very site, Old Parliament House. The Australian Prime Minister, Edward Gough Whitlam, was sacked by the Governor-General and replaced by an interim Prime Minister, Malcolm Fraser. Well may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Of course, no scandal of this size is complete without its conspiracy theories. And one of the big ones is whether, of course, the American intelligence had any role to play in prompting Sir John Kerr to do what he did. There were concerns from the very outset of the Whitlam government. Whitlam himself didn't want his ministerial staff to be security vetted by ASIO. New Attorney-General Lionel Murphy, searching for information to corroborate his theory that there were Croatian terrorists intending on killing, assassinating the visiting Prime Minister of Yugoslavia, raided the headquarters of ASIO in Melbourne with police in tow, looking for information to prove his theory that ASIO had been complicit or negligent in its duties. If an Attorney-General could barge in like that without giving any forewarning to his own Director-General about his intentions, what next was going to happen? Subsequently, there was concern about Pine Gap. Pine Gap had been built in the late 1960s under very secret conditions. And at that stage, in the mid-1970s, it was not public knowledge what was going on there. And the Prime Minister was on the cusp of revealing details about this facility in the middle of Australia. A couple of days before the dismissal itself, the ASIO liaison officer in Washington is called in by his American counterparts for what is effectively a démarche. Ted Shackley speaks to the ASIO representative and says, you've got to do something. This is uh, deeply worrying. What did ASIO know? What did ASIO do?
2: 3CR.
0: Yes, deeply worrying. Deeply worrying. What did ASIO know? And what did ASIO do? Will we have to wait another 40 years to find out? Well, I don't forget 1975, listener. And I certainly don't forget about Governors General. But let's go to a little bit of music. And the lyrics here are by an anonymous poet from the International Workers of the World, The Wobblies, about 1908. And it's sung by David Rovix.
1: For a thousand years, yet you hail us still unfed. Though there's never a dollar of all your wealth, But hails the workers dead. We have given our best to give you rest, And you lie on crimson wool. If blood be the price of all your wealth, Good God, we have paid it full There's never a mind-blown skyward now We're buried alive for you There's never a wreck drifts shoreward now But we are its ghastly crew Go reckon our dead by the forges red And the factories where we spend If blood be the price of your cursed wealth Good God, we have paid it in years That was our doom, you know From the days when you chained us in your fields to the strike of a week ago You have taken our jobs and our lives and our pride and we're told it's your legal share If blood be the price of your lawful wealth. Good God, we have paid it fair.
0: Yes, we have paid it fair. And it's time to hear from the BL from the bush. For some refreshing and inspiring
4: words. Yeah, good day, comrade, G'day, listener. Let's see, we're off the bush calling in. you are all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, getting ready for the up and coming spring. Just like to have a chat today is about. Uh, I know, I know, you're pretty sick and tired of this bloke, this Morrison, but I just just like to have a bit of a chat about how the media. Uh, just dropped I, what I think personally is is, is more of a, a more an indictment on Morrison and the people that are paying him than anything else. It's like that admittedly he's a minister for everything and why did we need other ministers was when he was doing the lot. But it's that, you know, it, it, same bloke, same bloke Listener, he's like got out there after he got the arse and he's saying, you know, he's told he's all the God-botherers up there, he said, oh, you know, we don't trust in government, we shouldn't trust in government. Then he shot off a couple of texts and stuff, and he's saying, you know, he's not engaged in day-to-day politics. Yeah, you know, the bloke's, bloke's getting paid. He's paying by the taxpayer. Now, he's sitting up there on the back bench when he's there, he, you know, like he it took him a week or so before he uh, decided to front up. You know, if he's not engaged in day-to-day politics, he's a bloody politician. Well, what's he doing there, and what are what we, the taxpayer paying him for? And the other thing there too, uh, listener, is that, if you're in his seat, I think it's a seat of Cook, is that, well, you'd be asking the same thing. They've elected this bloke to represent him, and then he turns around and he says, well, he's not engaged in day-to-day politics. Oh, I think, myself, that's that's more in front to the Australian people than to the taxpayer than anything else you know I mean this taking over all these ministries as we all know is, is bad enough but this, this other thing where he just thinks he's just so arrogant the arrogance of those people that just think that they're there and just an endless supply of money to them you know it, it's it's wrong when you consider you've got the people on the on social security entitlements battling on $45 a day or whatever and then you've got our NDIS you've got our disability sector and, and our mental health people you know Battling every day and yet there's this bloke turn around and say he's not really engaged. How would you be? I mean, now, this is just something else here, listener, that you think that these are the very same people. This Him him, and the rest of his, his head kickers up there, they're the same people that put out these rules and regulations about what you have to do to, to get unemployment entitlement. Now, this new system out now, this numbers system. But before that, you had to front up and go to your job providers and all this, all this sort of stuff. Now, could you imagine sitting there and sort of saying to one of these people an interview you once every month or whatever from these providers, saying, oh, well, you know, I'm not really engaged in looking for work. I'm not really engaged in the day-to-day circumstances that you want me to follow to look for a job. Well, can you imagine what would happen then? There'd be a big black line going through your name in the next week or when you were expecting your your social security entitlement payment wouldn't be there, scrapped, gone. So you know, again, just double standards for these mob, for this bloody for these parasites. There's just no end to them. But anyway, I just thought I'd have a bit of a, a say on that because uh, to me, it's just it's appalling to have that sort of attitude. But when you look at it, I'd suppose you'd be surprised. Just some other thing there too with the media. Now, it's it, very scant details of this, listener. Is that when all this stuff broke about Morrison? Our old mate, Mr Porter's name, was mentioned that he initially gave him advice on how to implement this takeover of, of other ministers' portfolios on the very early stages of maybe he gave him the information, just had to, to do the first one. Now that, I heard about that once and then there was nothing, then, then again, I heard it again on the, the Insiders program on the ABC last Sunday about uh, the... One of the uh, journalists on there linked his name to the early stages of this, so no surprise there, listener, that the old Christian Porter's got his head in it. Uh, don't be surprised there. There's a bit more if they want to chase that up, but it's just, just a little bit strange to me that all of a sudden his name gets mentioned and it doesn't, and it, and it does. So they all well, maybe I know the ABC's a bit gun-shy about using his name, but anyway. So, yeah, just something else to keep an eye on. The other thing is that We've got all these Royal Commissions happening again, listener. Now, I don't know what it is, but we just seem to have an endless, endless supply of Royal Commissions over, over the last 10 or so years, on, for, for whatever, mainly into the building and construction industry, which had always come to a pretty abrupt end about nothing. But where's where's the watchdogs within the parliamentary system without having this? Where are all these senior public servants that are supposed to be looking at what's going on around there? Is it the fact that this coalition government had got rid of a lot of them, and that therefore there's there's some scrutiny there that's not all that, that's gone, and they can just just keep on doing what they what they like? It's just to me that once upon a time, listener, you know, I remember growing up that you have a royal commission. It was big news. I remember the one the one that always stands out to me was the Costigan Royal Commission into the painters and dockers. Well, that that, that spectacularly backfired. <laughs> Uh, in uh, naming you know, the Goanna I think at the time which was Kerry Packer That's, that you know it was a witch hunt in the Union Bash and everything and it completely backfired in their faces but but after that there was one or two here or there you'd have the ones in the bushfires and everything which I'll actually a little bit later on I'll, I'll talk to you about that but they were very very few, very seldom and I think that the public servants the senior public servants used to be the watchdog and a lot of this stuff that they would handle but as of late, as we all know, it's just one after another after another. It just seems to be, oh, we'll have a royal commission. Well, what are these people getting paid for? Surely there's got to be people in there the, in some of these departments that should be looking. That the, their job is to look at look at what's going on around them in the banks and, and stuff like that. It just doesn't, I just don't work. Out. And the cost, the cost of these things is phenomenal. You've got on one hand we are shuttling out money to to these public servants and people that are supposed to be looking looking after what's going on yet they're copping a quid and then so we have a raw commission some retired old judge gets trotted out more dollars there and away we go again just keep throwing the money in into this endless supply of bloody raw commissions as i said yeah like how many raw commissions into bushfires we've had in the last 30 years every time there's a bushfire there's a commission so what's the point of having one if you're not going to learn anything from the one prior it's a little bit bemusing listener there's just not a watchdog up there anymore that are paid that I think should be.
0: I think the evidence is quite clear. The previous government was nothing more than a crew of malicious grifters, ghost walkers, crooks, spineless buggers, preachy weirdos and incompetent dullards. And they ran amuck on a nine-year spree of chaos, maladministration and blatant racketeering.
5: Well, maybe it's like Casey says. a fella ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody.
6: patrol, trappers coming up over the reef Hot soup on a campfire under the bridge. Shedder line stretching around the corner. Welcome to the new world, Am Family sleeping in your cars in the south weeds. No home, no job, no peace, no worry. Well, the highway's alive tonight But nobody's kidding, nobody but red gold I'm sitting down here in the campfire line Searching for the ghost of Tom Jones
2: He pulls a prayer book out of his sleeping bag Preacher lights up the body, then takes a drag Waiting for when the last shall be first and the first shall be last In a cardboard box with the underpants You got a one-way ticket to the promised land You got a hole in your belly and a gun in your hand Sleeping on a pillow a solid rock Bathing in the city aqua Quedon. Well, I was alive
6: tonight We're in city, everybody knows. Well, I'm sitting down here in the campfire light, We're on the coast of Tom Jones. Mom, wherever there's a cop beating a gang River hungry and born and baby cry Where there's a fight against the blood and hatred in the air Look for me, Mom, I'll be there
2: Wherever somebody's fighting for a place to stand for a decent job or a helping hand wherever somebody's struggling to be free Yeah, look in their eyes, Mom, you'll see me Well, the highway is alive tonight
6: But nobody's kidding, nobody about where it goes I'm sitting down here in the campfire light, with a ghost of old time Joe. Well, I was alive tonight. Where it's headed, everybody knows. I'm sitting down here in the campfire light, with a ghost of old time Joe.
5: Or there's a cop beating up a guy, I'll be there. I'll be in the way guys yell when they're mad. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise, living in the houses they build, I'll be there too.
0: with the ghost of Tom Joad. What was it Tom Joad said? I'll be everywhere. Steinbeck knew what he was writing about and you have to really think what's changed and what country are we in? I'm just going to have a listen to the words of Tom Joad straight from the film The Grapes of Wrath with Henry Fonda.
5: It's just... Well, as long as I'm an outlaw anyways, maybe I can do something. Maybe I can just find out something, just scrounge around and maybe find out what it is that's wrong, and see if there ain't something that can be done about it. I thought it all out clear. my I can't. I don't know enough. Well,
0: how am I gonna know about you, Tommy? Why, they could kill you, and I'd never know. They could hurt you. How am I going to know?
5: Well, maybe it's like Casey says. A fellow ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then...
0: Then what, Tom?
5: Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark, I'll be everywhere, wherever you can look, wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there, wherever there's a cop beating up a guy, I'll be there, I'll be in the way guys yell when they're mad, I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too.
2: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
0: And I see we're going to have a royal commission into the robo debt scheme. Now, I know that the BL from the bush isn't too happy about royal commissions, but this one is an important one and it's vital we get to the bottom of how robo debt came about so we can make sure that it never happens again. More than 400,000 Australians fell victim to this cruel system. It was a human tragedy with very real consequences for its victims. Former Queensland Supreme Court Justice Catherine Holmes will lead the commission, and her report is due by April 2023. We all know what happened with robo there was an algorithm used to work out whether Centrelink recipients had been overpaid. It was ruled unlawful in 2019 after claiming almost $2 billion in payments. The scheme was found in the class action lawsuit to have wrongly recovered more than $750 million. But the Morrison former government never detailed who was accountable for the scheme, and which ministers knew of its problem. Well, we know that Morrison was a social service minister when the scheme was introduced. Other ministers included Alan Tudge, Stuart Robert and Christian Porter. However, that former government never detailed who was accountable for the scheme and which ministers knew of its problems. I also saw a very cheap shot made by Dutton that Bill Shorten shouldn't speak about robo-debt when he was responsible for the Pink Bats program. Well, let's have a look at that, shall we, listener? Bill Shorten had nothing to do with the ill-fated home insulation program, which tragically led to four deaths. A Royal Commission established by the Abbott government, it was the eighth inquiry into the program, found that the government proceeded with good intentions but with too much haste, and pushed money into an unregulated industry, which meant inexperienced contractors and sometimes dodgy contractors used inexperienced workers, resulting in the deaths, as well as possibly 94 house fires caused by incompetent installation. It was also made clear in this commission that the two ministers responsible for the program's oversight, Peter Garrett and Mark Abib were out of their depth, or, in Abib's case, pushed it too hard and too fast. Well, we have to say it here, listener, don't we? Peter Garrett was simply clueless. In fact, he's an embarrassing footnote in Labour's history. And as for Abib, he was a blight on the Labour landscape. He was instrumental in the plot to encourage Julia Gillard to knife, right? as he was just the sort of dubious New South Wales right character that Rudd was determined to weed out of the party. And this treacherous little Abib became a gambling advocate for the Packers immediately after leaving the Senate. But there is a big distinction between those two programmes. The Pink Bats scheme was designed to provide employment stimulus as well as to insulate thousands of homes to save householders money on energy bills. It achieved both of those goals. The insulation program eventually covered about 1.2 million homes, and it's been estimated that by 2015, it produced savings of approximately 20,000 gigawatt hours for householders. In contrast... Well, I'll say in stark contrast, robo-debt, as activated by the coalition mob, was designed from the beginning to extract the maximum amount of money from the poorest of Australians. It was technically flawed and politically cynical, and it was used by Scott, by Maurice Payne, by Alan Tudge, and by Peter Dutton to brag basically to brag about their fiscal tight and to create villains out of the poor, for no better reason than to excite the knuckle-dragging, hate-filled tabloid crowd. Ironically, any money actually recouped was returned to most of those it was taken from, and this was recouped in a class-action settlement instigated by a law firm and Bill Shorten. The whole RoboJet experiment benefited no one. Again, in stark contrast to Pink Bats, and this matters, rather than junior ministers being involved, its administration and implementation fell under the eyes of the top level of Cabinet, from social services to Treasury to the PM's office. Notably, the program's worst successes happened when Scott was, in turn, social services minister, treasurer, and then PM. He built it, he ran it, he approved it, he boasted about it, and he kept it running even when there were big questions about its effectiveness or indeed about its legality. And he benefited politically from it. And I don't forget Alan Tudge. We'll find you. We'll track you down, and you may end up in prison.
7: Ah, uh, good morning. You're listening to
0: three CR, the only radio left. Crikey, we'd better track down that bagman fast.
2: Three CR.
0: Well, good morning, bagman. And how are you? I'm oh, very good this morning, Susan.
7: Uh, I've got a holiday. On the horizon, so I'm feeling as fit as the proverbial fiddle.
0: Wow, a holiday and on the horizon.
7: It's on the horizon, Susan. It's Friday morning, so I'll be heading out to the airport fairly soon. Now, you're a frequent flyer, aren't you, Susan?
0: No, I'm not a frequent flyer, oh, bad not. man.
7: Oh, I thought we'd talk about the uh, the compensation that Alan Joyce has sent to every frequent flyer this week about the shocking lack of service, Qantas. Now, he sent a $50 voucher to every frequent flyer. Now, the terms and conditions are that you have to use that $50 frequent flyer voucher on an aeroplane ticket before the 22nd of September on a return flight within Australia or overseas. Can you believe that? $50?
0: What's that going to get you?
7: Well, it would get you nothing, Susan, at all. And when you take into account, now Qantas sacked over 2,000 people last year during the COVID pandemic. The Transport Workers' Union took Qantas to court saying that the... Uh, The terminations of mostly baggage handlers uh, was illegal and the Transport Workers' Union won that particular case. Qantas, as is the like, uh, now appealing to the High Court of Australia against that decision in the federal court. Now, you wonder, here's a man that was earning $10 million per year. Now, I believe his payments have been reduced a bit, and why wouldn't they be? 1,760 people sacked from Qantas. Now, I'm heading out to the airport to give up my voucher. I don't want it. I'm going to fling it at them, uh, and I'm going to take a flight to Egypt with Emirates, which I think is a good airline.
0: Oh yes, if I want to fly anywhere, if I'm allowed to fly anywhere, I'll go with Emirates. I've been with them before, and I've been very happy with them. Hmm, they're very good. I, I think they're very good, but I'll let you know when I come
7: back from Egypt, Susan, just how good they were.
0: But- Hang on, just a minute, Bagman. Didn't we give mm. Qantas a big supporting payout at least once? We, we the taxpayer
7: has been feeding. Qantas um, millions and millions if not billions of dollars during the pandemic and that's the way that Qantas and Alan Joyce and the rest of his cronies thank the taxpayers of Australia they sacked all those people and they're offering you oh not you but me and many other frequent flyers a $50 voucher if he can use it between now and the 22nd of September on a return flight.
0: But he's gone down to eight and a half million a year, hasn't he, poor bugger?
7: <laughs> as, as the BLs would say, or the, the guys on the uh, Concrete gang, uh, he's got the arse out of his pants.
0: Yeah. <laughs> My heart <laughs> uh, weeps for him.
7: Can, I'll join you there, Susan. I'll join you. Uh, staff wanted. Now, this is great. It's almost common sign in the windows of cafes, pubs and restaurants across Australia, particularly outside the major cities. Now, there is a job summit that has been going on for the last uh, couple of days in Canberra. You wonder why they can't get people into the hotels, restaurants and catering industries because the last 40 to 50 years... It's been run by wage thieves and crooks, and why would anybody want to go and work for them? Now, this Wages Summit should take into account, and there shouldn't be any agreement unless they restore penalty rates. We've got to thank Kate Carnell for leading the push to reduce penalty rates in one of the poorest industries we've got. And... They've got to raise Newstart and disability pensions. They're the two things that they have to take into account, as well as scrapping tax cuts for the rich.
0: Oh, oh, wait on. You're suggesting a breakdown of the whole fabric of our society. If you're suggesting stopping the tax cuts to the rich, what will be left to trickle down? Well, that's right, Susan, and you,
7: I don't know if you can figure it out, but I have been tearing my hair out, figuring or trying to figure out why the Labor Party that's supposed to represent the working class of this country are going to pay $240 billion, billion dollars to those earning fat salaries which most people like you and me could afford. The ones we only dream about? Uh, that's right, the ones we dream about. And i tell you what, you could dream. You could dream back to when you were 13 years old, Susan, because children as young as 13 should be used to help pug Australia's labour shortages. Now, what? how's that?
3: What? Yes, that's
7: 13. Now, I must admit, I I left school when I was 14, But I left school for a good reason, because I was selling newspapers on the corner of Flamington and Racecourse Road the day that John Kennedy was assassinated. And I made eight quid that day, and I never went back to school again.
0: But 13-year-olds, are we talking 2022 or 1901? No, 2022,
7: Susan. Now, they're not suggesting that we send children back to the coalface just yet. But they're saying children as young as 13 should be used to help hug
0: Australia's labour shortages. But we have, we have a law in all the states that education is compulsory until the age of 14 years and nine months.
7: Now, apparently there are different laws in different states, Susan, and in some states, children over the age of 11 can be employed as long as they're working in a family business. But there you go.
0: Any so, special family or just their own family? Oh, or, or is it no. or is it someone else's family? You're like George oh, Colin Varis, for example.
7: That's right. But probably someone's rich family, Susan. But anyway, there you go. Anyway, we were talking about tax cuts for the rich. Now, I've never been a Liberal supporter, but veteran Liberal MP, Russell Broadbent, I'm sure he has some good qualities, has broken ranks with his party, saying the $240 billion stage three cuts that will fall on to the nation's highest paid workers should be abandoned and the money put back into government services.
0: Well, he won't last much longer.
7: <laughs> no, he'd be gone. We might be up for a pre Can I just indulge myself here for a minute because there's a legendary filmmaker who directed a famous film called A Man from the Other Side. He is going to have a showing at the Thornbury Picture House on the 13th of this month,
0: Ivan Garland. Oh, yes, but you won't be here, will you, because you'll be lazing around Northern Africa somewhere.
7: Oh, Northern Africa the Middle East, uh, we won't go into that argument again, Susan. But I I just, you know, I'm I'm not anti-Labour. We are just so disappointed at times. And someone sent me a quote about the Labour Party and it said, Labour, uh, a bunch of rich people convincing poor people to vote for rich people by telling poor people that other rich people are the reasons they're poor. Now, if you can figure that one out, Susan, I'll give the game away. I think you'll have to give the game away. Oh, well, give me a couple of weeks and I'll I'll figure it out, Susan.
0: (laughs) Hey, figure it out while you're lying on on the back of a yacht. (laughs)
7: No, 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 Susan, I'll be going down the Nile River on the back of a, a river cruiser, um, not, a, not on the yacht. Now, getting back to politicians, getting back to politicians, I reckon instead of reciting the Lord's Prayer every morning, now they do that, you know, they recite the Lord's Prayer. Now, Still! They still do. There are people who have tried to cut it out. But anyway, MPs should be made to read out their code of conduct
0: out loud. Would they be able to find where it is? Is it printed somewhere? Is it, you know, <laughs> in a folder on their desk?
7: I'm pretty sure it's... When they're sworn in to their illustrious career, Susan, I'm sure there'd be someone there giving them uh, the reasons for telling them how to say the Lord's Prayer.
0: I remember that Joan Coxich really tried to stop that being said before the opening of Parliament. There have been a couple of people
7: recently, Susan. I think uh, the woman from the Reason Party has actually objected to or the saying of the Lord's Prayer. It's most
0: yeah. objectionable.
7: Well, it, it, if you're not a Christian and you and me aren't, because we're recovering Catholics and we've done the 12 steps. It would be objectionable to me. If I was to win a seat in Parliament, that's not beyond the realms of possibilities. No, so it's not not. Be, We've both tried. We've both <laughs> tried. We've failed politicians. Oh, I got 8%. You got what? I got 8%. Well. All right. <laughs> I, I got just under 4%, Susan, but that just goes to show the people that listen to your programme and are willing to vote for you uh, as their local member of Parliament. Tram passengers voted for me. Well, I'm sure they did, Susan. You meet many people on the tram that recognise you and recognise your voice from 3CR, Anyway, let's hope, Susan, I'm going to be fairly short this morning because I'm off to the airport. Let's hope that the the jobs summit uh, that's going on in Canberra at the moment uh, takes into account those penalty rates which were taken away from lower paid workers and also people in the retail industry that have had their wages reduced by deals between the shop assistants' union and major employers in the retail industry. There was a song written about that, was there?
0: Yeah, it was called "Dirty Deeds, Dumb Dirt Cheap." Dumb J-
7: Dirt Cheap. J- That's right, Susan. Well, on that uh, on that note, Susan, you won't hear from me for a few weeks, but I will be sending you uh, a missive once a week. Uh, hopefully, you'll read it out to your millions. Well, thousands and thousands of listeners.
0: Well, listen, just a minute, bad man. If you're going to be, yeah. you know, if you're going to be mm-hmm. rude, all right. We'll we'll discuss the pay structure a little later once we're off air, okay? All right, okay, all right. Well, you're talking about workers and
7: yes,
0: jobs and school summits. Hmm. Well, if I want to read out your lessons, Oh,
7: you want to be paid.
0: Well, we'll discuss
7: <laughs> uh, uh, Okay. All right, Susan, on that note, let's go out in the same old way. Why not? Dare to
0: struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight. You lose. Good morning from left after breakfast. Okay, everyone, that's it for this episode. Thanks for your company. Thanks for the ride. See you next week, same time, same place. Until then, cheerio and ciao from left after breakfast.